Uh, Heavenly Father, we just thank you that we can just gather here as a body, Lord, and just worship you and just come together under your word, Lord, just to learn from you, Lord, what you say about what is true and what is good, Lord. So we just pray that you would really meet us today and just bless each one of us, Lord, in the way that only you can. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Let's go here. Go. You go, bro. So this is John. We're going to read from the Gospel of John in verse 12 to 15. This is Jesus speaking. I still have many things to say to you, but you cannot bear them now. However, when he, the Spirit of truth, has come, he will guide you into all truth. For he will speak on his own authority, for he will not speak on his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak, and he will tell you things to come. He will glorify me, for he will take of what is mine and declare it to you. All things that the Father has are mine. Therefore, I said that he will take of mine and declare it to you. Won't you pray for our service? Um, Heavenly Father, yeah, we, we just um, we just offer this service to you, Lord, and um, we just pray that your Holy Spirit would be would be speaking through PT, Lord, and that you'd your Holy Spirit would just be speaking directly into each of our hearts, Lord. Um, open our open our hearts, Lord. Open our hearts, open our hearts to just to hear your truth, Lord, and to re- appreciate truly what it is that you're saying, Lord. Help us help us see, Lord. Who you are, Lord, and transform us through that, through that vision of who you are, Lord. So, Lord, we just offer this time to you. We just offer ourselves to you. In Jesus' name, I pray. Amen. Thank you, Jaden. Good afternoon, everyone. <clears throat> one of those kind of thank you on one of these quiet Sundays here. I would say, as I would any week, please don't just believe me. Don't just assume it's true because I say so. Search the scriptures. Don't take my word for it. Take the word for it. In John chapter 16, starting in verse 12, as we see it here, Jesus has been in context telling his disciples, you are not going to see me soon the way that you used to. So you need a better relationship with the Holy Spirit. Not as a miracle machine, not as a lunatic license, but as a person who has a will that can be resisted, Acts 7.51, and has a heart or an attitude or emotions that can be grieved, Ephesians 4.30. And it's important to note, you can't grieve someone you don't care about or that doesn't care about you. You can irritate them, you can bother them, you can anger them, but the only people who grieve you are people you love. And the Holy Spirit can be grieved by you. He's not just a PowerPoint, but a perfect person. But we draw our composite from a small batch of historical passages in Scripture. Allegories, perhaps, about things like oil and living water, which still apply. But we sketch out some form of effervescent, esoteric, like a tesseract. Or like infinity stones, that we could sort of, somehow in all of this, kind of, Put in our, to help, in essence, accomplish our will. Well, there's the problem. So what happens in the end of it all is it's these, we have these superpower things, but it's still our will being done, and we feel super spiritual, but we subterfuge the fundamental holiness of Christ's lordship. And there's our problem. 
And this, I do believe, is one of the reasons why people really love a very non-biblical version of the Holy Spirit. Because if we could grab a hold of that, what it is, is in essence, it's sort of like supercharging your whatever your thing is. It validates you more, it makes you cooler, it makes you super whatever, puts a cape on you and some tights. But in the end of it all, it really doesn't look much like Jesus. But where is the Holy Spirit actually taught? Where can we sit down and actually get flat out simple, straight teaching about the Holy Spirit? We'll get it right here with Jesus. See, teaching sets our boundaries so that we can see the narratives acted out. There's the point. Now, Jesus told us in chapter 14, and I remind you, this is his walk to the garden where he's going to be arrested. So there are these four chapters, if you will, 14, 15, 16, and 17, including a prayer that Jesus seems to give en route, for which then he'll ultimately, as you know, go into the garden of Gethsemane and and have a meltdown. I mean, if there's anyone who understands what it's like to have an emotional, overwhelming moment, to have a breakdown, it would be your Savior who we read gets to the point of even sweating like drops of blood. Hemohydrosis, hematidrosis is the medical term for it, where stress is so profound that it starts, in essence, to rupture the corpuscles under your skin. makes your skin like papier-mâché, if you're familiar with papier-mâché, which means that all of the suffering that Jesus experiences after that point is multiplied by six because of the tenderness of his skin and the frailty of it. And all of that because Jesus has, in essence, a meltdown. And he's on his way there, and all he's thinking about is us. And as it's the case, you realize that what Jesus starts to tell us in this portion is in essence a culmination of these last three chapters. So what I want to do in regards to that is actually point out these little nuggets that Jesus has walked us through up to this point. Now consider this, that Jesus, according to chapter 14, is going to prepare a place for us and he's going to come back and get us. But in the interim, we have this in front of us. What he's done in front of us, that he's done in front of us, he wants to do now through us. That's the whole point of it. And you think about it, and people, the way that people interpret the way that they see Jesus tends to be, in essence, the way you grab a hold of, uh, you grab a hold of the Holy Spirit. Now think about it. It's like for some people, it's like the coolest thing Jesus ever did was miracles. And so they're like, well, I, I, miracles, they're cool. I want to do miracles. Well, Jesus did them by the power of the Holy Spirit. Give me that power so that I can do those things. And it sounds like Simon, by the time you're done, offering to pay for this thing. And there are those that are like, Jesus was a great teacher. He taught us how to be kind and good to people. And I don't even have to watch the rest of it. And if that's what you think is Jesus' best thing, well, then I get the idea. You're like, well, what I really want is the Holy Spirit to, you know, to teach me. And by the way, he does do both of those things. But if the greatest thing Jesus ever did was a handful of miracles or teach, you're missing on the main point of why Jesus is called Savior. Jesus died for your sins and mine. He died for your guilt and mine, paid for it all, and then rose again. And understand, a life that is surrendered completely, faultless for that surrender, is the life we're talking about here. And what the Holy Spirit wants to do in all of our lives, in essence, if you think about it, is actually make us very different from a very selfish, self-consumed world. What the Holy Spirit wants to do is see that death of that old person and raise up a new one. And that is his ministry. So with that in mind, consider the fact that now this new life, this new purpose, this new song, well, this is all, by the way, of what the Holy Spirit is, Jesus is teaching us in this. So let me walk you through a few things, but let me just go with this. Chapters 14, 15, and 16 all have a theme. 14, if you will, is reside. 15 is abide. And 16 is collide. 14, Jesus goes, I'm going to go prepare a residence, a place where we're we're both going to be able to live. But that's what I'm going to do while you're down here. Then when I'm done, I'm going to go back and get you. 
And then I'm going to bring you back so we can reside here together. Until then, you know this. By faith, you reside in me. And out of love, my Holy Spirit resides in you. That's chapter 14. Chapter 15, you need to abide in me. You abide in my word, you abide in my love, and if you abide in my word and you abide in my love, you'll abide in me, and if you abide in me, you'll abide in my joy. And if you abide in my joy, you'll need to know that there are going to be things challenging you that. I think one of the biggest problems we often face in a lot of this is really that there are people who have the very best intentions, but really they're superhumans in their mind, but they're really the damsel in distress in practice. And so he tells us, I want to warn you, the world is going to hate you, and if you don't abide in me, you'll have no joy left. Therefore, the Holy Spirit is going to speak. And he's going to teach you, and he's going to lead you, and he's going to remind you. We'll see all of that here. In chapter 16, you see that's the collision. The Holy Spirit colliding with the world, what he does, he's going to convict the world of sin, righteousness, and judgment. That's how he collides with the world. Now understand, when you're led by the Holy Spirit, you're going to collide too. But I want to warn you, your best intentions are going to collide with your human weakness. And I know every one of us, if we're honest, we've had these moments. We've had these moments where we were completely convinced we were going to do this and we were going to do it right and we were going to do it straightforward from the get-go. And sometimes, I'll be honest, in my life, I'm often quite shocked at how easily that resolve crumbles in the face of some small challenge, nonetheless some big one. So he says, look, and I want to warn you, you're going to collide with the world as the world hates you. You're going to collide with your own weaknesses and therefore the Holy Spirit's going to need to speak to you. The Holy Spirit's not only going to need to speak to you, but the Holy Spirit's going to need to speak through you. So listen to this. In chapter 14, this whole idea of residing, therefore Jesus says this, if you love me, keep my commandments and I will pray to the Father and he will give you another helper. Helper will be used four times in these statements. Spirit of truth at least three times. He says that he will abide with you forever. The spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive, for neither sees him nor knows him, but you know him, for he dwells with you and will be in you. I will not leave you orphans. I'll come to you. Jesus, when introducing the Holy Spirit in the context of these particular chapters, understand, he doesn't even tell us what he's going to do yet. All he tells us is this, the world can't have him. He only comes through me, Jesus speaking. And he dwells in two states already. One is with people, but you as believers, he'll dwell in. By the time we get through chapter 14, he'll tell us this, as he begins to tell us what the Holy Spirit's going to do. And I'm going to ask for you, if you're anything like me, I'm a pattern finder. I start to try to find commonalities as I start to look at things. I do that. I warn you, don't feel like you're kind of on the couch when you talk to me. But I'm always kind of looking for patterns and things. I'm like, well, you know, Tunde's always kind of like this when he's in this situation or whatever. Well, those kind of things happen. Well, in Tunde, by the way, those things kind of happen with Tunde, too. And, and then, by the way, don't just believe me. Look at this with me. Go to chapter 14 so that you know I'm not making this up. And in chapter 14, verse 25, Jesus then introduces this Holy Spirit again in context. He says, and by the way, anytime you, tell, anytime you see something where it says the Holy Spirit's going to do something, bark out the word that he says he's going to do. Just see if you can get that far. So it's a challenge for you. These things I have spoken while being present with you, but the Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things. Teach. Did you get that? That's what he's going to do. So can you say Teach. Beautiful. And bring to your remembrance all the things I've said to you. I say, yeah, we might say remind. So the two things so far that we have that he's going to do, number one is what? Teach. 
teach. And the second is remind. Did you get that? All the things I've said to you. And then he says, my peace, I leave with you. My peace, I give you not as the world gives to you. Let your heart be troubled. Neither let it be afraid. Chapter 15, he says this. Now look at it with me so you know I'm not making this up. Verse 26. When the helper comes, whom I shall send to you from the Father, the Spirit of truth who proceeds from the Father, he will testify of me. Testify. So let's get our three words so far. We have teach, remind, testify. Do you get that? Go to chapter 16 now, because that was the only one in 15. Chapter 16, verse 8. When he, come, when he has come, he will convict the world of sin, righteousness, and judgment. What's the word there? Convict or convince, right. So this is what I have. Teach, remind, testify, convict. Try that. Teach, remind, testify, convict. Did you get that? What do they all have in common? They're speaking. Did you notice nowhere in this, not that it isn't going to happen, but nowhere in this he says, and when he's come, man, he's going to blow your mind with the shakes. Or the barks, or the yells, or the screams, or the laps, or the miracles. Oh, and when he comes, you're all going to speak in tongues. When he comes, you're all going to lay hands on people and they're going to be healed. Now, I'm not dissing any of those things per se. The point is, when Jesus is teaching us about the Holy Spirit, it seems to me that he's a lot more verbal than he has felt. And I think that's really important, especially for the generation we live in. Now, do you know that MasterCard almost went broke about 10 years ago? Did you know that? And there was one ad campaign that saved them. Are you aware of this? 10 years ago, actually about 12 years ago now, MasterCard went and sought one of those very, very high-end marketing companies where you only normally see in movies, you know, when somebody works for a high-end marketing company, and of course they're all freaking out, and usually there's a love story involved in it. They're like rom-coms are built on these things. Well, uh, in all of this... (coughs) And they're like, well, we're really not connecting with our generation. What do we do? And the leaders or the, the, the chief marketers that obviously MasterCard's a rather large account. Uh, they brought in their big guns. They said, well, here's the problem. We live in an experiential culture. You need to approach them and reach them on an experiential level. So they developed what was called the priceless campaign. Do you remember that? It was like ballet lessons, 40 pounds. Ballet shoes, 45 pounds. Watching your daughter perform priceless. And they would go through a handful of these things where the idea of it is, if you could just spend this money on our card, you can get this priceless experience. It actually saved the company in its time. Now, I don't know whether they're at that point right now, but I can tell you this. The idea was, is in the culture that we were living in and are living in, experience is fundamental to so much. We've fallen in love. That's an experience. You know, I I used to teach the front of house, uh, kind of train the front of house at restaurants at a time. Matter of fact, when I first met Suzanne, I was training front of house. And that's, those are your waiters, your waitresses, your bartenders, those kind of people. And, I mean, and certain things that, of course, when you come to a country where not necessarily everything is, it's a very different culture. So, for instance, the first thing is you actually have to acknowledge a person in the door within the first 40 seconds. I mean, not somebody walks in and everyone actually turns around and walks away. Anyways, I'm not trying to complain. The whole point is, is that there's these certain things that you try to develop. And part of it is that they, there's a sort of an experience you're trying to create from the moment that a person sort of walks in 
that they need to go. And one of the things I learned that I thought was really interesting is, and this was, by the way, because I'm really old now, is this was before the days where you could actually get online and just kind of rant at that moment. So imagine how much harder it is when you had to do this in other ways. But the, the average, from what we were told, is an average person who had a great, I mean, a really great experience at a restaurant told two people. That was the average. But the average person who had a bad experience, not even a horrible experience, just a bad experience in a restaurant, told 45. Now, you're probably aware, you don't have to be brilliant, but go check that on things like travel, you know, whatever, dot, whatever, and hashtag, I hate your restaurant, you know, whatever it is. And it's, what you get out of that is it's amazing how quickly we'll tell people when we have a bad experience, because it's an experience and we want other people to know. But we're much more afraid to tell people of a good experience because if we tell people personally of a good experience, what if they think it's a stupid experience? Then we feel dumb and awkward. Now, the reason I say that is, is that the church sort of sees that and goes, well, you know what we need to do? If we're really going to engage this world, we need to make sure that they have more experience. But the problem with experience is you're probably aware of the fact it can be fabricated. You can play the right kind of music. You can set the right kind of tone. We can create the right kind of building. And I'm not saying those things are wrong necessarily. The point is, is you can do all of that without the fundamentally important thing in the end. And what you're doing is you're laying money on a MasterCard, but you're really, you know, you're going to have to pay for it sooner or later. But when we get to approach the, the aspect of the Holy Spirit, it always seems like that is sort of MasterCard. It's like our spiritual MasterCard. It's like it's all going to be about experience. And as long as it's an experience, well, then we can build doctrine off of it. The problem is, is that imagine if we built doctrine off of food. How many of you have ever eaten Ethiopian food? Okay. Is that okay? Is that, we're, we're culturally cool with that? All right, good. You know, he's not Ethiopian, that's the point. Uh, okay, well, it's like, now for some people, by the way, there's an issue there. Because some people don't like to get their fingers dirty. And if you're aware of Ethiopian food, it, it involves bread called injura. Now, injera, by the way, it's ground up roots of some sort, and they make it into this stuff that looks kind of like tripe when it's laid out. But uh, it is something that's a bread. And by the way, in different parts of Africa, different kinds of things are ground up that are from underground, and they're made into things that are globular in one way or another, and you eat them, fufu and, and stuff like that, and ugali. And um, in such a case, some people could have a bad experience. Here, man, they could have a bad experience because they just don't want to get their fingers dirty. There are other people who it may be a little spicy for it, like Shantae, our oldest. She's definitely not the kind of person that really loves super spicy food. Matter of fact, she doesn't like any kind of spicy food that way. And she's got a dad who's like the opposite. I'd rather swallow fire. And, and so the only reason I say that, <laughs> you know, we meet in the middle somewhere with, I don't know. Anyways, water. Let's, let's share water. But, but in that, she might go, I don't really like it because it's, it's too spicy. On the same token, there may be a person who is one of those sort of radical vegan individuals, and I'm not trying to pick on them. I'm going to pick on everyone. But it's like where it's like, you know, meat is murder. And they're just looking. They're like, why does everything seem to involve meat at this restaurant? Although a lot of Ethiopian food actually is more vegetarian, but they try to meet this sort of Western palate. Next to them is a person that's much more of a carnivore, like our other daughter, who might say, yes, meat is murder, wonderful, tasty murder. And I, I mean, and the only reason I say that is, is that in her case, she may actually really like the fact that there's a whole lot of meat on the plate. And, and by, by the time we're done, we've all eaten the same meal, but we've all come up with very, very different conclusions of the same thing. And in the end of it all, here is the problem with experiences. There is a point of it that, is, that really is reliant on the individual themselves. 
There is no absolute in that area. So, we approach areas that are eternal and infinite like the Holy Spirit, and we can do the same thing. If, I mean, here's the problem. You can go to a place where people are already kind of given to be a little bit more fiery, down in the heart of Mexico or a place like Italy or some other place. Strangely enough, Scotland for us, where we, you, know, you do these sort of concerts and you start doing a concert and it's like, for whatever reason, it's like in, in Scotland, it's like the only place where I've actually left a concert we did, a worship concert nonetheless, where my ears weren't ringing from the concert, but from the people singing. It was like, it wasn't like, it was just so deafening. But there are people that are given to that. There are certain cultures that are given to that. And here's the strange part. Then you come down south to where we are, and, and it's like, it's the comparison by where, where it's like a football cheer up there and a golf clap down here, if that makes sense, right? And you kind of look at that, and if you're trying to gauge it from experience, you kind of look and go, wow, what did we do up there we didn't do down here? And we had a couple songs on rotation on the radio back in those days. And we showed up in Scotland. They were actually, we started doing the song. They started singing along. And I'm like, this is a supernatural experience. How in the world do they know the song? I'm completely unaware that it was on the radio. And, uh, and, and, and there was, they were singing along with the melody, but they were singing in like that strong Scottish accent. So I wasn't even sure they actually did know the lyrics at first. Like, and then I realized they actually do. And then we come down here and there was a place like, yes, we love that song. We've been listening to it. And then you're like, well, sing along with me. And they're like, and it was like, you know, it was like, maybe it's like, maybe it's just really high and like dog it. But the reason I say that again is there is not only that internal experience, but the way that we demonstrate that experience by the way that other people, it's hard to gauge. That doesn't mean that you're not as impacted as another person because you're not responding in that way. Some of you are very well of Dan. It's easy to pick on him because he's not in the room at the moment. But, you know, when Dan gets really, really scared, he does this. Did you see that? And when Dan gets really excited, he goes like that. Did you see that? And when Dan actually sees food he really likes, he goes, yeah. And the reason I say that is, but for Dan, man, he's over the moon. Because Dan's, Dan's regular state is just mildly above sleeping. You know, and like we've, we've been in, I've been in many restaurants where Dan's fallen asleep. Matter of fact, he's actually fallen asleep in a window once at a place that serves tea, which is full of caffeine. And they actually took a picture, well, actually, I took the picture, now I think about it, uh, you know, of him sleeping against the window. And this is come and enjoy our comfortable environment. But the only reason I say that is, is that I can try to look at you and try to get that, that ex, uh, how, is, how is Dash reacting to this moment, you know? And, and there's a sweetness in all of that, but then there are always going to be, the way that you're reacting is going to be very different too. There was a gal that used to come here named Schling. Well, that was her nickname. We love Schling. But when she would listen intently, she'd go like this. And it was kind of that look like, what are you talking about? What's wrong with you? And by the way, probably where Lois can do that sometimes too. And of course, they always sort of sit in a place where I can see. So, so I'm always, there's always like one person you're kind of like, you're developing a point and you're excited about it. And she's like, what? And you realize after a while, I'm like, are you getting this? She's like, yeah, that's how I think. I'm like, okay. Now look at the only reason I say that is, is that when Jesus is teaching us about the Holy Spirit here, he has a theme and the theme was not about feelings and it was not about experience. It was very verbal. Did you notice that? Now, could you imagine if we approached the ministry of the Holy Spirit from the perspective of the way that Jesus was teaching it, 
what we would expect from the Holy Spirit if we were to have such an encounter with him. Well, that's the remaining of our text here, and that's why I wanted to give this lengthy introduction for context, because we have very little to go with. Look at, again at verse 12, 16, 12. I still have many things to say to you. He can't bear them now. Which, by the way, which one of you likes to hear that? You know, you're just, wait till you're older. Well, you know, you're just not ready for this. However, when the Spirit of truth has come, He will... Now, now again, remember how you're actually saying the thing He's going to do? Let me read through the text and you go ahead and tell me what those things are. Ready? He will guide you in all truth. Guide. Okay, that was really underwhelming. And I know you've got more. So look at He will guide you in all truth. Beautiful. For He will not speak on His own authority. He won't, what, won't, what won't He do here? Speak on His own authority. But whatever He hears, He will speak. Yeah, have I lost you? Yes, thank you. Let's try this again. You tell me the thing he does. Whatever he hears, he will speak. For he will tell you things to come. For he will not, he will, I'm sorry, he will glorify me. He will take what is mine and declare it to you. All the things the Father has are mine. Therefore I said he will take what is mine and declare it to you. Did you get that? What do all those things have in common? Huh, strange. Look at what they are. First of all, before this point, I want to remind you, it was teach, remind, testify, convict, or convince. Now it's speak, speak, tell, 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 glorify. Now the reason I say that is, is that the Holy Spirit is a very verbal ministry, or minister, if you will. And it starts with this. He's going to guide you in all truth. Now it's important to recognize the difference between what Jesus just taught us in chapter 16 and now is the difference between whether or not you've put your faith in Jesus Christ. Before this point, the issue was maybe you're struggling. Maybe you're being challenged by this stuff and you're like, you know, this is new or, you know, like anything. Imagine if it's sort of like all you had was the, the history of England. Now, I'm not trying to pick on England. Obviously, I live here and we have applied to be a resident. I'm sorry, we have applied to be citizens. But let's take a look at the history for a moment. You've got a king that murdered another king to actually become a king. And then after he had a couple of kids, he murdered another king and he actually stayed king. And then after a while, he got consumed with the idea that he was actually Israel. So he went and tried to conquer Jerusalem. And well, that didn't work out so well. But then there was another guy who came in and kind of rose up. And, and, you know, and then what happened is, is he had all these women that you know, couldn't give him a boy, completely unaware of the fact that he's the one who's supposed to produce that particular chromosome. So he just kept banishing them and sending them off. And then he realized that isn't going to work real well with the Pope and such. So he actually said, well, let's do our own religion. And so then, okay, which is basically the same except for a couple things. One is I get to be the boss and I get to divorce and remarry. And the only reason I'm picking all that out, and look, I could do the same thing with America. I'm not trying to pick on him. The point of it is, is that all of that politic didn't keep me from wanting to come to England. Because even though you go, well, they're probably like that now, which is amazing, because to be honest, nobody actually in America that I'm aware of actually thinks that they're sort of this like fat, pompous, old, gluttonous kind of guy over there that's like, off with your head. I don't think they think that, but I do think that some of them have watched Jane Austen a few too many times, and they actually do think everyone still does walk around in petticoats and go, eh, you know, and speaks sort of beautifully and flowery, and there's still Shakespeare's running around. Now, which we can agree is also not happening. The point is this, is that the politic is out there, but the politic isn't necessarily the people. It's like, you know, I, I've wanted to go to Spain and we visited Spain on a couple occasions. a couple occasions. I've never expected to be a part of an inquisition there. Though that's part of the history. 
And the reason is, is that the people are very different often from the politic that surrounds them. And in that same way, people are like, well, you know, I've got a problem with Jesus. No, you actually probably don't have a problem with Jesus at first. You probably have a problem with the politic. But beyond that, you probably do have a problem with Jesus because he actually died and rose again, deserves to be and demands to be your Lord. And that is going to be a problem. I don't want you telling me what to do, though you have infinitely better right for it than I do. And, you know, I'm doing a pretty good job of destroying my own life. Why should I hand it to you? And in all of that, I recognize there's a difference between that. But please do not use the politic as an excuse for the, jo- for the genuine problem, which is I just really don't want to submit to the guy. Now, I want to remind you what it said in, in John 16 is, when he comes in regards to the world, the world that's still trying to grapple with whether or not he's worth surrendering to. And, and I understand this. In the end of it all, I genuinely believe the reason people, quote-unquote, don't believe in Jesus, which I think is a healthier term in the sense they won't trust him. They can say he doesn't exist, but that, that's irrelevant. The point is they just don't want to trust him. Is that they genuinely don't believe it's a trade-up. They genuinely don't believe that handing their life to Jesus is going to make things better. I mean, even if they didn't think he was anything but a cosmic mist or a fabrication, but somehow they were convinced that doing that would still make their life better, they would do it. Now, the reason I say that is when the Holy Spirit comes to the world, he will convict them of sin, righteousness, and judgment. In other words, you know what he does to the person who's still grappling? He's pushing them to the truth. Does that make sense? But notice it says here in verse 13, now it's what he does to those who have actually put their trust in him. Do you know what he does with you? He'll guide you into all truth. In other words, here's the difference. Before you said yes to Jesus, he's going to push you to the truth. But when you've said yes to him, he's going to guide you through it now. So in other words, it's like this. Somewhere before this point, Shantae is aware of this, but you guys aren't. And she says, you guys need to know there is a wardrobe and you need to peek in there. And man, you should see it. Now, chances are, you know, you could think, well, that's a fantastical child. She's a bit histrionic or whatever. Maybe she's making this up and she is quite clever and creative. However, when she comes out of there and she is, her eyes are full of color and her, and her expressions are full of wonder, you might actually be curious enough to peek inside. And she is playing the role of the Holy Spirit there, getting you to the, to the wardrobe. But once you step into that wardrobe, and of course I'm using a Narnia reference for those of you who feel completely lost and have no idea who C.S. Lewis is, who is a Brit, by the way. Anyway, um, <clears throat> on the other side of it, once you actually step into Narnia, wouldn't it be nice if you had a guide in there as well? And that's the role of the Holy Spirit for the believer. The word guide here is the word odegeho, or odegeho, and it means literally to speak and show the way. So in other words, I'll be your tour guide this evening. That's the idea here. It's, by the way, it is a verbal term. Now it is important to recognize, because as we start looking at this, he's not just going to guide us into how to repair a car. He's going to, regard, he's going to guide us into all truths. So I already hear Pilate speaking in John 18:38. He says, well, what is truth? By the way, do you know the one writer of all the New Testament that spoke, spends the most time on the truth, on the word, by the way, is this guy, John, who basically has a vocabulary of about 600 words. I mean, this is a fisherman. Uh, you're probably aware of the fact when you were about seven years old, you had a larger vocabulary than John does in this gospel. 
And John uses the word truth in this gospel four times more than the other three gospels combined. In his little, if you will, his little pamphlet that we call 1 John, that's only five chapters long, ties for the most amount of times the word truth is used in an epistle with Romans. That tells you something about what John feels about the issue. It is only in the Gospel of John that Jesus says, by the way, you'll know the truth and the truth will set you free. That comes from this Gospel. So when you think truth, I would go to John. Or in the Old Testament, I would go to David. This is what David does when he celebrates God's Word in Psalm 119. It tells us this for what it's worth in Psalm 119, 142. Your law is truth. But then he goes on beyond that to Psalm 119, 151, where he says, all your commandments are truth. And then in Psalm 119, 160, he says, the entirety of your word is truth. And I love the fact that he starts with the law, and he goes to all your commandments, but then he goes to the entirety of your word. Is there any place to go beyond that? Yes, there is one. The one who stood and said, behold, I come in the volume of this book who told the religious leaders, you search, this, search the scriptures thinking by them you possess eternal life, but they are they that testify of me. Because it is Jesus who says, in the end of it all, to put the handle on it, I am the way and the truth. Not a truth, one of the truths, I am the truth. When the Holy Spirit guides you in all truth, you know what he's going to guide you to do? He's going to guide you in Jesus. And man, we need that. So in essence, think of it this way, the Holy Spirit is less esoteric and more elementary. Now, there are those that are like, well, just give me power so I can just be, you know, whatever I want to be. And yet I would say that the Holy Spirit would say, why don't I give you power, first of all, so I can lead you to Jesus and then lead you deeper into Jesus. And as I lead you deeper into Jesus, you become more like him. And as you become more like him, the rest of the world actually sees Jesus beyond the politic. They see the person. So you could say, as in Psalm 119, your word is a lamp into my feet and a light into my path. But Jesus, you're the light of the world. Now, if he's going to lead you to Jesus, well, here becomes the problem. Is that sooner or later, to be honest, he could actually be too there. Let me say that again. If my job is to introduce you to someone, I could be too there. Please hear me on this. Jaden. Or Jaden. Abraham and I are talking. This is, by the way, this is a made-up story. Just want to let you know, so don't get your hopes up. And Abraham and I are talking, and we're having fun. And as we do, by the way, Abraham's like, "Hey, have you met my cousin, Letitia?" I'm like, "No, I haven't met Letitia." He goes, "Oh, come here, let me." And we meet Letitia, and she's amazing. She's a godly woman. She has memorized scripture like you wouldn't know it. She's mellow, but beautiful and kind and loving. And my first thought is, wow. And she's single. How old is she? And, and he's like, why are you asking? I says, because I have this friend. Right? And he's really awesome. He loves Jesus and he's single. And by the way, just so you know, he hasn't paid me to tell you this. And, you know, and, and in all of that, he's a really, really awesome guy. And he's like, well, really? Oh, yeah, I have total faith. I have total faith in Jaden. Boy, he's an awesome brother. But somewhere down the line, they've got to be introduced. So then I've got to play the role, right? And I'm like, okay, Cisha, I know you don't really know me, but if you've got any form of go for it in your spirit, 
I think, and you're going to need that with Jaden. You know, it's like, you, I'd like to introduce you to a really, really awesome brother in the Lord. But imagine, if you will, that I get to the point where I, I, you know, I introduce them, and then I'm like sitting between them. So what do you think? 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 It's pretty awesome, huh? Pretty awesome. I mean, both of them should run away screaming. Sooner or later, if the two of them are to develop a relationship, the more transparent I become, the better it gets. Does that make sense? But if the point was for them both just to think, I'm awesome, well, it'll all be about me. And I'll be like, hey, so this is Leticia, Leticia, this is Jaden. Now let me tell you about me. <laughs> okay, enough about you, Jaden. What about me? You know, I mean, sooner or later, somewhere in it, you would think that's a bit distracting. Look at what Jesus says. And I remind you, this is Jesus speaking about his Holy Spirit. He says in verse 13, he will not speak on his own authority. Do you see that? Do you see that the word authority is actually in italics? Do you know what that means? That means it's not in the original text. It's added to help us understand what's trying to be said here. In other words, he's not going to spend all of his time talking about himself. And if you think, well, that seems like a pretty rough delegation, but we'll look at verse 14, the first phrase there. He will glorify me, Jesus speaking. Do you know what I expect when you have an encounter with the Holy Spirit? I expect you to get face-to-face with Jesus. And you know what the problem is? Is that in the case, in our Letitia example, that I would get to this point, I would get excited. I would get excited because I would know, man, this would be really cool. And she seems awesome. And John, Jane is awesome. And, you know, this would be really cool. And yet, what's amazing is I think the Holy Spirit gets really, really excited about us getting tight with Jesus. And then somewhere down the line, we spend all of our time, you know, in essence, jonesing on our yentl instead of actually spending time with the one that he's trying to lead us to. And I can see why people would freak out. The last thing we need to do is actually depart from Jesus for the Holy Spirit because that makes no sense at all. And yet what's crazy is, is that when Jesus teaches this, the whole point is, is that the Holy Spirit's to lead somebody who doesn't know Jesus to Jesus, and to lead someone who does know Jesus deeper into Jesus so that he could lead other people to Jesus. How's that? The point is not to promote himself. The point's to bring you to Jesus. And when we're led by the Holy Spirit, we'll do the same. So he's not going to speak on his own authority, but whatever he hears, he'll speak. By the way, Jesus had said the same thing in John 8, 26, for what it's worth. He says, look, in the simplest sense, I I speak to the world those things which I've heard from him, the Father. And then we read this. In verse 13, he will tell you things to come. Do you see that? The term tell there is the term anengelo. Try this word in the Greek. Anengelo. Now, try to say it like Greek. Anengelo. Look in... That was very nice, by the way. Well done. Now, That's the word we see here for tell in verse 13. Do you see that? In 14, do you see the word declare? The word declare there is the word anengelo. Does that sound familiar? That's why I had you say it. In other words, the word tell in verse 13 and the word declare and declare is the same word. So what you have is he'll he'll, he'll speak, speak, tell, tell, tell. That's what we see here. And you know what he's going to do when he does? When he speaks, speaks, tell, tell, tells? He's going to glorify Jesus. So when he tells us things to come, in verse 13, to announce, to pronounce, what do I expect it to lead me to? To Jesus. It isn't like what he actually is. It's like kind of a cool Christian version of fortune telling. As a matter of fact, for what it's worth, you'd say, well, come on, it's prophecy. 
I challenge you to take a good look at Revelation chapter 19. It tells us this, by the way, so you know I'm not making this up, verse 10 and 11. It says, for the testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. Because what the Holy Spirit wants to do in everything is lead you closer to Jesus and use you to lead others closer to Jesus. I think it's the simplest. In a simplest sense, we might say this way. He is the catalyst of intimacy or the impetus of intimacy between you and God. So what drives you to someone else? When you fall in love, when I look at Dennis and I look at Fanny, Dennis somewhere met Fanny, Fanny somewhere met Dennis, and the two of them looked at each other and went, wow. And there was nothing you could put, and and I don't know your story, so I'm sure it was probably over some kind of cool sausage, and there was probably a handful of other really cool things involved that I probably, I couldn't pronounce any of them. I can't even pronounce your last name, and it just means parsley. So, what's that? Right, exactly. And here's the point, is that you couldn't put a math to it, you couldn't assign numbers to it, there was nothing you could quantify, but something drew Dennis. And it wasn't like he's like he could just spell it out. As a matter of fact, that's the problem when you start explaining things like that, is that unless somebody's actually experienced it, how in the world do you explain that to someone? It's like explaining the color purple to someone who was born blind. You know, how will I know when I'm in love? And you know how we answer that? You'll know when you know. Right? I mean, how do you explain that? Here's the point in that. It's somewhere down the line. It seems like it's something well beyond our reason, well beyond our ability to cognate, but somewhere in all of it, something just draws us. Well, should it surprise us then that God just gives us that as the simplest illustration for what his Holy Spirit's been doing with us and God from the very beginning of time. And you're like, and you know, it's like you meet this person and it's like, look at I've met blondes before. Uh, you know, I've met California girls before, let me tell you what. Well, you know what? Yeah, there may have been a politic and there could be a history, but the bottom line is that's still not my wife. Though she's blonde and she's a Cali girl. In the end of it all, you could say, well, there's that politic and there's this problem and you just know and you know, everyone knows about the church and everyone, everyone knows that most marriages fail. You know, I'm a fighter by nature. Tell me that most things fail and then put me in the ring and I'm like, well, then let's prove them wrong here. And he says, look at, he's going to glorify me. Glorify, by the way, doxazo, it simply means to render glorious or esteem something awesome. When you encounter the Holy Spirit, what you should do is go, wow, Jesus is awesome. Not the Holy Spirit is. Because he's going to take what is mine and tell you. All that the Father has has been given to Jesus. And Jesus is going to give it all to the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit's going to tell you all of it. Because there's the relationship. Now listen, as we bring this to close, I want to ask you, when people turn to this concept of the Holy Spirit, usually one of the things they turn to is Acts chapter 2. Well, we love that one. Because we love the fact that the Holy Spirit came upon them and they did something they'd never really seen before that they're aware of. Though arguably they could talk about actually prophets of Baal speaking in different languages. I can't tell you it's true or not. I can tell you some historians have said that and I don't know. I've never met the historian and I don't know how truthworthy they are. But I can say this. That Jesus said, when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, you will be witnesses to me. The very thing he promised in the last chapter when he said, the Holy Spirit's going to testify and so are you now. But when the Holy Spirit 
entered the room in a way that was obvious. They were all walking. There's 120 of them are sitting around there praying. What is the first sense? In other words, of your senses. Sight, smell, taste, hearing, feeling. What is the first sense that alerted them the Holy Spirit was there? Beautiful. It says it was the sound of a rushing wind. What's interesting is it never said that there was a rushing wind there. And I think that's actually kind of cooler. Imagine we're all in a room and we're praying and all of a sudden you hear, Yeah, gotcha, didn't I? Now, right? And we look around and no one's hair is moving. The cap did not blow off of Abraham's head. Marcia, like even that little, you know, the fringe in the front isn't even kind of waving at all. Every one of us, we're kind of looking and the hair is still. Bruno's hair is completely still. (laughs) Nothing's moving. And we look around, but we hear this sound. That would catch my attention. How about you? But if it just blew us off of our chairs, we'd probably start to look at how to close a window. Because, by the way, we've experienced that in the Middle East. Winds come up. Uh, there are certain areas that are wind tunnels and they just kind of pop up out of nowhere. Jonathan could probably tell you stories as well where it's like you're sitting there and it seems like within a minute, happens here too sometimes, within a minute it's like the weather so radically changes and all of a sudden you're in a windstorm. But I've never been in a windstorm where there was no wind, but it just sounded like it. Except maybe when something happens and goes wrong with the mic and cables or something. And the point is, is that even from the very beginning, the Holy Spirit always wanted you to know He's going to be a very verbal and audio-driven ministry. And He wants you to be too. That doesn't mean we don't demonstrate, because the next thing they saw was the next thing was that they saw like tongues of fire. And the whole point of it was that you hear first and then you see. John, this same guy would write at the beginning of 1 John, that which we have heard which we have seen, which we have looked upon and our hands have handled concerning the word of life. That's how he begins First John. He says, you know, I started with hearing and then I looked and then I inspected and then I touched. I touched God. But imagine like, well, I won't believe him until I feel him. Well, we can certainly create certain experiences, but you've got to be willing to listen. And let me tell you, it ends with that too. When Jesus starts speaking to the seven churches in Revelation, how does he end each one of them? He who has an ear to hear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the church. The issue is not whether you're feeling it. The issue is whether you're listening. So like the sound of a rushing wind, he sounds and resounds. The question is, am I listening? Well, if you were to listen, what would you hear him say? If you've not accepted the gift of Jesus, regardless of what bulwarks you've established and what sort of boundaries you've set, I can can tell you I know exactly what he's telling you. And what he would say is, in the simplest sense, he would say, know him, know Jesus. Say yes to this gift. But if you are a saint in this room, he cries out, know him better and make him known. Because the world needs to hear and as we go to prayer today, you'd say, well, man, I don't know, man, I'm freaked out. People scare me or people don't scare me, but I still don't want to do it. Well, the beauty is that the power of the Holy Spirit is to give you the ability to overcome your own resistance of yourself so you can do what God wants to use you for. So I just want to pray for you and I want to pray for me. I want to pray that the very things that we see in Scripture, where God's Holy Spirit would, hear me, 
first of all, push us to Jesus if you've not said yes to Jesus and convince you that there's a choice to make. But if you have said yes, that he would push you deeper in. Or might I say that he would pull you deeper in to the place where your whole universe gets so consumed with him that you can't, you actually, the guy you hated becomes a foreigner in your life that you were once. And then you look and go, wow. And then crazy stuff starts happening. Scripture starts falling out of your mouth. And he may do a miracle or several, but I tell you, the first miracle he starts doing is transforming you. And then he'll back it up. But that's the choice you need to make, beloved, because God's a gentleman and he stands at the door and he knocks. He doesn't kick it down, but he would really like you to open for him. Will you pray with me? I still have many things to say to you, but you cannot bear them now. However, when he, the spirit of truth, has come, he will guide you in all truth, for he will not speak on his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak. And he will tell you things to come. He will glorify me, for he will take what is mine and declare it to you. All the things that the Father has are mine. Therefore I said that he will take what is mine and declare it to you. I am praying right now, Father, that as we come to you in the name of Jesus, the only righteous way that we can approach you, not by our own works, which are but filthy rags, not by our performance, but by the performance of your Son who died on the cross for our sins and guilt and shame and filth and muck and nastiness to wash it all away by the blood he shed for us and then to raise again that we would have a whole new life. I just approach you, Father, and I ask for you to take every believer in this room and immerse us in your Holy Spirit that we would recognize that your Holy Spirit's primary objective is not to give us the shakes or the feelings. Though any of those things could happen, they're just not the primary point. The primary point is to drive us deeper into you, Jesus, and to drive us deeper into you in such a way that you become, that you saturate us. We become Jesus logged, like water logged, until every part and fiber and atom of our being resonate with you. And if you want to do that through experience as well, not exclusively, of course, because you'll do it through your word, but also when you want to use experience, well, then be our guest to do that. But don't let the experience be the end of it. It's where it becomes a cul-de-sac and no highway to a deeper level of walking with you, Jesus. But what I pray is that, Holy Spirit, you would so consume us that we would be carried to Jesus deeper in those things where those places where our feet don't want to walk, well then pick us up and take us there, please. And those areas, God, where we'd say, yeah, I would be that, but, well, God, overcome all of those things. Teach us and remind us and guide us and lead us in such a way that all of the lies of the enemy that have been implanted, that have now somehow grown into these sort of these trees that seem established and now become, in essence, strongholds in our life of lies that are just convincing us that we could never be what you've called us to be. God, rip those out by the roots. Don't just chop them down. Rip them up by the roots. And take us beyond that. Take us to that place, I pray, Lord, where you... Become our life like you're supposed to. And I pray 
that we are not in any way complicit to these political problems, to the very things that become natural reservations with people that somehow divert them from the real core issue, which isn't the church has its issues, but rather that I just need to be convinced that saying yes to Jesus is the brightest thing to do. Make us complicit to that solution, I pray. And I pray, God, that you would forgive us for where we have jumped off of the diving board in either direction to the place of trying to fortify our own existence uh, in regards to our own uh, validation or to the place where we just wanted to be sort of in essence, sort of like Iron Man, scripturally, somehow, you know, with your Holy Spirit being that little thing that plugs us in the middle so that we can operate all of these cool, super spiritual things instead of first being immersed so we could be consumed in Jesus so people would know you better, Jesus. And I pray that you would forgive us on the other side where We've seen some of those things that seem really not our portion. So we would shy away from it to the point where we really would kind of be like, well, two-thirds is, you know, two out of three ain't bad. And we're like, oh, Jesus, I'd love to have you. And Father, okay, be my guest to adopt me. But I'm not too sure about this Holy Spirit thing. Well, Holy Spirit, I'm just asking that you just forgive us for where, you know, Jesus, forgive us for where those things have happened in our lives where we've shied away, Lord because we're afraid we'll kind of turn into something crazy. And yet you're a God of order. And you do things decently and in order. And while our heads are bowed and our eyes are closed, Holy Spirit, I ask that you just speak to each of our hearts about what needs to change, how you want to change, the next thing on your agenda to conform us more into the image of Jesus. And if there be any in the room who have yet to say yes to you, which ultimately then is to say yes to Jesus. Convince them of that wisdom of that choice. And if that's you, I just want to pray a prayer. Acknowledging Jesus' death for your guilt, resurrection for your new life, and the propriety of his lordship as a result. And if that's you, just pray this prayer. God, look, at I don't know everything. But I know that if this is really what you're about, I want that. I, I want forgiveness and purity and cleansing and the removing of the bag of rocks I carry around with me of my regrets from the past. And if you're really willing to lay that guy to rest for good and, or a girl and raise me up as a new thing, clean and pure, and I recognize that that does come with the caveat that you must be my Lord. You have to be the one to actually rebuild this new life, to build this new life. But it, it's something inside. I, I, I clearly, what's the right thing? I don't have to be able to even be able to explain it. I just know that's right, and I just want to say yes. And though it freaks me out to think of what that could possibly mean, I, I know this is important and. 
for me, it's important and I need to do this. So I just want to say yes. Thank you, Jesus, for dying for me. With, that I was on your mind. Thank you, Jesus, for raising from the dead so that I can have this new life. Free from all of those things. And I just hand my life to you and I just say, Jesus, be my Lord now. Even as you're my Savior and my ransom, I just say yes. In your name. If you agree with that prayer, I just ask you to say, Amen. You've heard us today, Lord. You've heard us and you recognize, Lord, that we are weak in and of ourselves. But you've never demanded for us to be strong. You've demanded for us to be strong in you. Very different thing. And be strong in you, you are our strength. And your joy is our strength. And I pray for a fresh joy upon this fellowship, myself included. Not because I feel it lacking, but because I don't think we can OD on that. That you would today, that you would today, because in your presence is the fullness of joy, you would immerse us in that place where, where we would be amazed at how the world has less pull on us like it used to. Less authority over our emotion. Or none at all. But instead, that as we walk with you, that we would walk above all of that. As these new creations you intend. So, thank you. Thank you so much for this time you've given us. May we be sent forth in joy, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen.